0: Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs.
1: Hey, welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. Yes, this is the podcast where we empower you, the filmmaking entrepreneur. And a great way to get started is to get the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion, while doing it. It's available in paperback, Kindle ebook, as well as an audiobook. And in fact, you can get the audiobook for free when you go to survivetheimplosion.com. That's SurviveTheImplosion.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm here. uh, I'm Scott McMahon, and I'm along. uh, Joining me, the co-host, is the indie film coach, Ron Newcomb. How are you doing, Ron?
0: Doing good, Scott. Glad to be here.
1: Cool, cool. So this episode is is entitled Filmmakers and Actors, or Filmmakers, Actors, um, How to Work a Full-Time Job While Pursuing Your Dreams. Or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll work out the title, but it's essentially that's what you're listening to, this, this particular episode. And yeah. so what you'll hear is uh, the first uh, uh, guest we have, I've interviewed Brian Lewis of Halstead uh, Properties. And what's interesting about Brian is that he um, is a stage actor from New York City. And also on camera actor, and so he was pursuing the arts, and um, you know, and, and spent some time in Los Angeles in his youth, and became friends with certain people that became very famous and well to do, uh, such as Sean Hayes from Will and Grace, and um, also the producer of Grimm. And Grimm was the TV show that was shot up here in Portland. Uh, had an opportunity to play a co-star, day player on that uh, episode. I mean, on that show. So as Brian and I were talking, there's a lot. There's a a very lengthy conversation I had with him, but you're only going to hear a snippet of it. But if you do want to get the full interview with Brian, then I encourage everybody to go to filmtrooper.com forward slash 140 for episode 140. Um, But why I thought it was important to listen to what Brian had to say is that, you know, here's someone who is an actor, and you'll hear it in the interview, that then had to, there was a program in New York City that allowed him to get education in another field, which he found himself in real estate. And then what was great about it is that he f- kind of found his calling in, in that sense, but he's been able to connect the dots and bring his acting back into his work because he was um, basically nominated and, and touted as having one of the most strangest and also the best real estate videos of the year a couple of years ago. And so he has these really charming videos that he does where he's walking through different properties in New York City and but you could tell like there's a showman to him there's this there's this very uh non-threatening very charming uh person you know giving these tours of these houses and then he's been on like all the um you know business um Cable networks and like fox business and I think on c n n as well uh n b c where he's like the you know one of the go to guys to talk about real estate but his his charm and his um his background in you know live performance has really come together, and so when I saw that, I saw someone who was able to um have like a second life, not only you know being able to generate like you know a lot of money because he's literally like ranked like 136 of like thousands of agents all over the country. So he's Mm -hmm. in like the top, you know, 150 agents of all agents in the country. And so I, I thought it was inspirational. Um, because, uh, I think a lot of people out there listening, you know, they have full-time jobs. They have jobs that sometimes have no, uh, connection to the world of, uh, the arts, either, you know, the filmmaking or the acting and so on. And, um, I just thought it would be inspirational to hear what he had to say and how, you know, you, you don't necessarily have to let go of that artistic need if you find yourself in this position. And with that yeah. said, you know, Ron, one you know one of the reasons I asked you to come along and help me out on the Film Trooper podcast is one, the, the work that you're doing at IndieFilmCoach.com. But also, um, I haven't been able to produce as many podcast episodes of late during the summer because uh, lo and behold, I have recently become a real estate agent. And mm-hmm. why that is important is because um, it all stems back from my father passing away last year. So I remember when my grandfather passed away, he was, he was like 68. And my dad died at 72. You know, I'm 45. So I have this like, this this like mortality timeline, like maybe I only have 30 mm-hmm. more years. Maybe I'll make it to 75, 80, you know, if my, if the, if things go the way they go. <laughs> right. So that kind of brings like, you know, you know, basically yeah. stuff into focus. Yeah. And I remember, I'll, I have a lot of people over the years tell me like, you should get into real estate. You'd be really good at it. You'd be really good at it. And uh, I was at an audition and I really do enjoy auditioning. And I, I get you know as actors out there who can commis- commiserate. You get rejected like ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah. Like you hardly yeah. ever get the job. So you right. enjoy the auditioning process. Like that is your job, just to do the best you can at the auditioning process. And I thought to myself, here I am hustling for like you know a thousand dollar paying job, five hundred dollar paying job, whatever it might be. That's like how low some of these jobs are for actors. And I th- I thought the difference with real estate is that if you get the you know if you get the gig. There's a potential of like a twenty thousand, ten thousand dollar payout, yeah. you know, and so I thought, well, I'm used to rejection; that's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> and in real estate, you get rejected as as much as uh, in that too. So I spent the time uh, working over a course of um, like you know six months online, getting my real estate license, studying for it, get my license, and just recently signed up with a brokerage. But what I discovered over the time. Which is what I'm really excited about is coming back to Film Trooper to share these experiences because it's not necessary. I'm leaving filmmaking. If those who've followed me and follow this uh, the book I've written um, about the concept that it's really not the film that we're selling. The film is more or less like an amplifier or an advertisement for something that is more expensive. And 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 I thought you know the more I looked at that I go. Um, that's what I'm kind of replacing. So I'm actually launching a online web series or uh online series called Around the Neighborhood with Scott McMahon. And it's called, it's at aroundtheneighborhood.tv. We haven't launched it yet. But as you can imagine, uh, for the local market here, I get to essentially be a spokesperson for my own yeah. company. Because as I like an it. actor, I've been a spokesperson for credit card companies and beverages companies. And so, you know, I get right. paid like, you know, whatever, a thousand bucks for the day or something like that. And that was it, you know, mm-hmm. whereas if I'm my own creating my own show and creating and being my own spokesperson, the deal, I can have longer opportunity or a greater chance of developing that revenue in terms of clients and, and providing them with a um, high, you know, high service in terms of real estate. So what I what I'm curious about this is that because I'm producing my own online series in this vein, I can report back to Film Trooper like it's going to be on fil- Facebook, so I can ex- you know share with everybody like here's what I'm discovering, what I'm doing Facebook advertising, here's what's working, here here what's not working, here's some things that I, I uh, you know that that I've been messing around with. So I think that's going to be invaluable, um, and then I have an opportunity not to. I get to combine the two worlds. I get to combine connect the dots. I get to mm-hmm. still make you know film content. I get to be a performer, an on camera you know performer, um, an actor, but uh, it's more or less like a talk show person or like um you know, a private lifestyle show. And yeah. then, um, in all the stuff I've been doing, the reason I've been kind of incognito is I've been trying to learn and do a really good job of becoming a real estate agent. So, you know, every other weekend I'm holding open houses. Um, I had been uh, doing things like um, just studying and learning how to be a good real estate agent and to provide that content to the the, the neighborhood. And I haven't even yet launched the marketing arm of it. And so I've been yeah. building my infrastructure. I've been building, you know, all the stuff I've talked about in terms of sales funnel, where. You know, somebody comes to your site, what happens when they get there? And so I've been trying to build all that stuff out. And I will share all that stuff with everybody. But if everybody wanted to know what was going on in the last few months in terms of the, the regular, the sort of the irregular publishing of the podcast, that's why. And that's why you were brought on, you know, to see if you'd come on. And you have already a backlog of uh, interviews that we got to pump out because the AFM, yeah. the American film market's coming I mean, out. So you're uh, you're listening to we're going to get this one out and then right after is we have like at least two three because um, you have yep. an interview with Jonathan Wolf who heads up the uh, American Film Market or his,
0: yeah it was a great one too yeah
1: yeah and then you got Arby um, uh, from uh, stage thirty two that's 32. A, and he's doing yep. like a, he has a book out and coming out right and it's all just co- coincide, it. coincides with the AFM
0: a- coming out so yeah. um, we'll get all that stuff out of the way. But, so, so Scott. So, one of the things I loved about this was, you know, at the end of the day, it's still business and yeah. filmmaking entrepreneurship. Uh, it's still applicable. And you and I got into this whole crazy mess because for our passion and love of acting. And I think there's a lot of people out there. I've kind of gone way of directing now and producing, mm-hmm. but uh, a lot of people have told me too. You know, real estate because that's extroverts. You know, you know that acting kind of thing. Uh, so super excited to kind of see what happens with that and what business elements you can do with that. One of my favorite podcasts from Phil Trooper was your podcast, your podcast solo one on you publishing your book. And there was a lot of value there, even though it was a book. It was still a commodity uh, that I was able to utilize and put a lot of things into place even on my film. I was just getting ready to release another film project of mine. So I put a lot of that stuff to use. So I do think this is going to yield some uh, really cool stuff from for all of us film troopers.
1: Yeah. And I'm excited. And so I'm being, I have to be realistic. Like I'm going to kind of, I have to get myself up and running. I have to allow myself time mm-hmm. to, to get this thing, uh, um, well oiled machine to some extent, because then, you know, this was sort of become sort of like my full time baseline, you know, the job. Then I'm able to then go back and finish the, the, these, uh, these narrative films. You know, like the, the, the story that I had been writing Ada yeah. and and the other stories that I want to create. But I kind of like I'm at that crossroad where I needed to solidify my my base, my my full time pos- like income. And, you know, I've been kind of all, all over the place. I've had acting income, film trooper brings some income in. But, you know, I, I need to like solidify it and say this is my profession that, that makes yeah. the majority of the money, but everything else after that is like icing on the cake. And so um, that way, I'm not so, pre- it actually relieves the pressure of trying to make like the movie's got to make it. Like everything yeah. is riding on whether or not this, this goes. And that way, when I do make my my film content, my narrative stuff, it's not, um, it would definitely come hopefully from a purer place. And hopefully, I'll have actually more revenue behind me, you know, to push it forward. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yep. No, I like it.
1: So, yep. Uh, I babbled enough on that, so I, I want to just get into the interview and then we'll come back and you know reflect on what we heard with uh, Brian Lewis. And then the second part, we have a bonus uh, section uh, with uh, a, a, an independent filmmaker I met up here in, uh, in Oregon, uh, Paul Bright, who has some really interesting things to say and his and I think it might be relatable to a lot of people out there, and we'll touch base on that. But before we get started, let's just jump into my interview with um, Brian Lewis. Um, from Halstead properties um, and how maintaining a, you know, full-time job and maybe there's a career out there that can make you flourish, but also not necessarily make you give up on your filmmaking and acting dreams and so on. So hang on here. We are the film trooper podcast.
2: You know, I, I, I started out as an artist. I, I, in that pursuit mm-hmm. and it's such a beautiful, noble pursuit, but boy, is it tough. And, and, uh, the heart stays artistic. The soul t- stays forever an artist's soul. But <laughs> we live in a in a mortal world, don't we? And <laughs> yeah, and bills bills come, <laughs> and student loans must be paid.
1: Student loans, and, uh, and, yeah, and
2: things happen, and 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 dreams of family and life happen, and it's part of the experience I wanted to have, and so I I found a, a path that enabled me to sort of push some of my artistic buttons, yet also create a really nice income stream. You know what, I played uh, Officer Pete Bennett on The Guiding Light when that was a thing. I was at the tail end of that show and I I had this gig where I was, you know, it was always day player. Yeah. Three days here, two days there. But it was so much fun oh to my be gosh. sort of in the tail end of the golden era of the soaps, mm-hmm, you know? Mm-hmm. And and it gave my mom and my grandmother a, a real kick to see me up there right so
1: is it it that's so um, funny
2: oh i had a ball i had a ball and you know i, I turned 30 at one point and that's always <laughs> a thing right and and then i i actually literally went to the actors fund which is a benevolent group that helps People who are artists, uh, I think union members. So SAG, After Equity, and, and I have been for a long time. Both, all three, and they, you know, they help you find your transition job. Or if if your ends aren't meeting, they help you find a world where they can meet. They help dancers who have, you know, get older, quite frankly, and, and need help. And they, you know, injured artists or mm-hmm. somebody who needs benefits that doesn't have them or qualify at that quarter or whatever. And I literally said, I'm, I'm, hi, I have a degree from William & Mary. I um, I'm, I think I have a pretty decent head on my shoulders. I'm carrying bags at the hotels. I was at, with the Four Seasons in yeah. Prince Carlton. And uh, I, I said, and that's fine, but I'm turning 30, and, and I there's a strike. There's a SAG strike. I'm not even allowed to audition right now uh, for the things that I want, the commercials that were kind of feeding me.
3: Yeah. I was doing a
2: lot of those. And I... I said, and and I want more, and I don't know what to do, and I, I don't think I want to go to law school, even though my my education might lead you to think I would. Right. Uh, and uh, they said, "Well, fill in this bubble sheet, and and we'll take a look." And I did, and I remember so clearly. The lady's name was Patch Schwandrin.
1: That is an interesting name.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, pa- Patricia. Yeah. And she herself was a, a dancer, you know, a, a, a ballet dancer. And she ran this work program, the Actors Work Program, at the Actors Fund. And um, she came back, she took the form, and she said, Brian, you should do real estate sales. Wow. And I said, okay, <laughs> sign me up. <laughs> and she did. And uh, they paid for it. And uh, I made a pledge to myself that I'd pay them back every penny they gave me. Mm-hmm. But that's how little money I had at the time. I was so hand to mouth that I... I needed that support. Right. And I was ashamed to ask my family cause I wasn't a yeah. kid anymore. And my brothers were getting married and they had jobs and careers. And I felt like, wow, okay. The prodigal son is up here trying to make it. And the ends weren't meeting. I had good stories, good cocktail chatter about day player, this and, and, you know, stand in that and all that good stuff was, was working in my favor, but cocktail chatter does not pay the bills.
3: Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. doesn't.
2: And, um, so I, I, Literally got my license. I paid the Mac as quickly as I could. I started working here in Manhattan at a company called Halstead Property, and I still work here.
1: Yeah, I know. And it's amazing.
2: I, I've been here a while, and I, I'm enjoying it. And I've, you know, you, I try to grow every year. I try to try. I try to do new things, and I I, I really enjoy the marketing piece. Mm-hmm. So I love getting new properties i love to market them i love to talk about them i love to get them on the media i like to talk to the media i like to i just like to market i just love it i i recently sold um the estate of greta garbo right wow Very amazing
1: yeah
2: actress world-class caliber very famous um she's very dead yes (laughs) and uh her family who could not be lovelier hired me to to uh, with two two buddies from Halstead who mm-hmm. actually had a connection with the family they're the Kerrs, so Woody and Will Kerr are the reason I got that listing because they they're intimately friendly with the family in in a in a different way than I was brought in to help the market and I tell you the the three musketeers did it and but the most fun I had was. That gave me a lot of red meat to work with. I mean, the legend of Greta Garbo, yeah. her life there, she was very private. So I had this whole concept of letting people on the inside for the first time. You know, that secret kind of marketing, kind of, hey, let me, let me show you a secret. People yeah. love that. Backstage somewhere. It's a very backstage story. And, and not putting myself in the caliber of artist that, that she was at all, because I, I don't know if I deserve to be. <laughs> Those hallowed grounds. And that doesn't mean I have low self-esteem. That just means I'm real. No, no, no. It, uh, I, I but, get you. But, but being in her world, even remotely, was such a privilege and honor. And we approached it respectfully, and I, we made great friends of that family. And I think they would say the same thing. Uh, and I just had a ball. I just had a ball, and I have to pinch myself. I'm like, this guy from Virginia who moved a lot, me, mm-hmm. Georgia, moved to North Carolina. We moved a lot because my dad didn't have a very extensive education, but he had a lot of drive. Yeah, we moved all the time, and so this kid, lower middle class kid, selling Greta Garbo's place, getting a big old bidding war going, marketing on NBC, and doing press junkets, and I just pinch myself every day.
1: That's amazing. And
2: fun, and it's not all it's not all roses, you know. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Um, when I first got into real estate, you know, I was still auditioning a lot, and I I do have agents. I'm with Innovative and in, and in, in New York. Mm-hmm. I have uh, I, I I don't take advantage of some of the auditions they throw my way these days, and I know that sounds horrible to anyone listening who's an artist, thinking what? Are you yeah, kidding? yeah, yeah. But I I I my heart isn't there right now because I'm I'm in this. Yeah. And, but. But it would, hey, I'd take it in a minute because right, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I would love, I'd love to, to finish that chapter of my book, meaning not literally, I don't have mm-hmm. a book yet, but that artist chapter is not done. And I don't know what that means, and I'm thinking about it all the time and kind of feeling it out. But I have a feeling that I'll do in the real estate thing for quite some time, and there's going to be a bridge of worlds and a synchronicity, and something good's going to come of it. Yeah, and I'll be the the old the old fucker on every show. <laughs> <I'll be> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll be like the the new Wilford Brimley <laughs> on Broadway, TV, film, or whatever new media everybody comes up with next. I'll be there, and I always tell my daughters and say, you know, that daddy's going daddy's not done.
3: yeah. But yeah. I'm not this
2: like jaded. I didn't make it, guy. You know. Yeah. Frankly, I think if I did have amazing artistic chops, like my friend Sean, for mm-hmm. example. I would be doing that, right? I, you know, my industry is 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 full of orphans. Right? We're yeah. we're orphans from other industries. Uh, we have you know sports people. We have academics. We have people who worked on Wall Street. We have lawyers. We have all kinds of people. I don't think many people grow up, and maybe I'm wrong, but saying I want to be a real estate agent, right? And and frankly, that's not me. I didn't grow up thinking that. I, I wanted to to act, and I wanted to advantage of some of my artistic bent right yeah and and you just don't know where life's gonna take you right you just have to let those dots connect themselves sometimes and that's so hard to do when you can't pay your rent yeah that's tough so it's it's an interesting journey right there's the word Um, but it is and I I jumped into real estate I, I took it like a fish takes to water. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it partly is because we moved so darn much. And I, I knew the <laughs> process. I knew what a good transaction would feel like. And I knew what a bad one would feel like because we'd been through them. I saw my parents' faces and heard their talks as yeah. a kid. And so I kind of got a sense of what's good and what's not. My dad's a hell of a salesman. He was the man of the year for the Sara Lee Corporation back in the day.
3: Wow. With no
2: education. He, he, to the top, Ranks of the whole global empire of that, and anybody who was around in the '80s will remember that was a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Sarah Lee Brand was something. Oh yeah, so we had free cakes all the time, so I have a sweet tooth. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, but even at the very beginning of my real estate work and career, I was auditioning even more.
1: Like I said, to me, you're you represent this, like like a true hero in this sense, in and in for a lot of artists because. There was way more artists like like yourself or out there that have that creative need in either uh, acting or filmmaking or, or music or whatnot. But to see you translate it to the real estate world, and there's like a, an authentic through line. Because when I, I, your videos or marketing videos are so enjoyable that I saw somebody who connected the dots that said, oh my gosh, they are still doing what they love to do and you can see that love through their work and, and yet they found a industry that allowed them to shine and like yes make a very nice living where it actually improves the art I say because then it's not so like the arts not coming from a desperate place so much it's a coming from a place of joy and uh, it's been really, really um, impressive to see what you've built and to hear the story. I had no idea about the story, but I get the fact that you get to basically say, I had a scene with Jennifer Connelly who went on to win the Oscar for this film.
2: Well, thank yeah. you. first of all, thank you for those wonderful remarks because it made me feel really good. My head is now <laughs> 20 times bigger. Uh, I, I just got to tell you, first of all, that was cool to do that scene. Um, you know, I'm not in the film in that yeah. scene. It's over my shoulder. Her. It's all about her. But I, I, remember the first day we got that script on set. I, 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 uh, I, I just uh, uh, what was it? Akiva? Akiva wrote it. Akiva. Mm-hmm. What's his
1: last name? Goldman.
2: Yes. Yeah. He is awesome. Everybody on that set it became friendly with me, and and you know, I, I just loved it. I, I, it was hard work, my God. I did not realize that the only thing glamorous about filmmaking are are the like Oscar parties. That <laughs> has nothing to do with it. But the only thing glamorous is red carpet stuff, and that yeah. has so nothing to do with it. Nothing. And uh, I knew, I mean, coming from the theater world, I, I knew that theater is blue-collar work. Yeah. I mean, you have a union and there's things hanging over your head. It's like, it's blue collar union work. Let's face it. You're an artist, but you're, you're working in a very, and that's what I love about it. Cause it's roll up your sleeves, do the work. Yeah. And I love that. And I don't know why, I mean, you think oh, film sets are cushy, Hollywood, a list film set, big budget, you know, studio movie is going to have, you know, cushy cushy. And you know what? It, it is, it is, you get good food, you get smoothies brought to you and all that stuff, even, a, even a stand in. Yeah. But, there's nothing glamorous about filmmaking, and I and I know that no one out there listening doesn't know that. Right. But if you don't, it is you're you're you do all your night shoots for three weeks straight, and you're <laughs> up. I mean, all night, yeah. all night. You go to it. In you're in the cold. You're in the rain. It's almost like the military. <laughs> and, 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 and 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 you know, like, it's pretty cushy military, but right. it's still it's just it, it, making art is messy, and ah, I and. Love that. And the elements hit you, and it's visceral, and it's moody, and the byproduct is, you know, is, it, it can be a beautiful thing. It can be a funny thing. It can be a silly thing. It can be anything, but it, it can be messy. And, and I really realize that because you're like, wow, that was stressful and beautiful, and it's, a, it's, it's really like you birth this thing. You give birth to something. And that's not, if you've ever been in a mm-hmm. <laughs> ever been in the delivery room, you know that that's a messy thing. <laughs> uh, but life is messy. And I think that one of the things that helps me, and I'm always trying to learn and do and get better, is to just embrace that fact and find ways to cope and deal with it and, and, and that, that strengthen you, that keep you active, that keep you lined up with your values
3: mm-hmm. and,
2: and the way you were raised, if you like the way you were raised. If not, change it. Mm. Um, And, you know, just get it done. And that's something I learned on film sets, too. It's like, no time for excuses. Don't fail. The stakes are too high. Hmm. Do it. Own your mistake if you have it, but move on it right away and get better. Because everyone, there's always 20 people trying to take your place. Yeah. And that, 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 that goes into business, too, right? Own it. Don't get busy making excuses. Don't get busy fixing. Just say you're sorry. Move on. Learn from it. Yeah, um, I, I, that's something I learned because no one. It, there's no time for drama because we're making a drama. The drama can't be the making of the film. Right. The film is the drama, and you you want to be efficient, excellent, easy to work with, and and really at the top of your game, and and really pleasant to be around, right? Yeah. People have to like you, and that's always employable, and and frankly. That's how it is in my business is mm-hmm. sellers want to hire somebody or buyers for that matter. They want to hire somebody that frankly, they like respect, uh, someone who's successful, uh, who makes it easy, who communicates very well. They don't want someone who's very good at getting out of their mistakes.
3: Right. Like right. there are people
2: that get busy with that skill set. Like I can get out of things. Don't even get there. Just say, Oh, sorry. I messed up. Um, here's what we're doing. Here's the track we're on now. Yeah. Like, just adjust and move. And I, I also, I ride horses. It's a thing I picked up late late in life. I was around them my whole life, Virginia and and down in the south, and I always wanted to really learn how to ride. So I was the guy with, like, all the junior high school girls, Mm -hmm. and I was, like, the guy in my late 30s riding a horse for the first time and really learning how. And so I got to learn, and and I started jumping, and I was asked to be part of a polo team and train, and I didn't do that because I had my kids and I didn't have time, but I will do it. I'll do it. But I love it. But one of the things you learn when you're on a horse, really riding, like English riding and jumping, and that there's no room. You, you, can't, you can't not be present.
3: Mm, yeah.
2: You know, you have to be in the moment, literally focused, because you're trying to direct the intentions of an animal who's big, yeah, 1,000 pounds, whatever they weigh. Yeah. And, and if you make a mistake, the horse will let you know, but also... You just adjust and move on. You don't sit on that horse making a billion mistake, uh, excuses and da-da-da. Adjust and move on. And if you don't know how to adjust, someone will help you learn. And and that's, that's life, man. I, I'm a dad yeah. of a five-year-old and a four-year-old, wow. and I try hard every day. Yeah. And you F up every day. <laughs> and you're like, you know what, let's just watch another TV show and eat more candy. Let's do that because I need to get through these emails. Uh, but you adjust and you move on don't dwell don't dwell don't dwell and if you're stuck figure out why get someone who's smarter than you to help you figure out why and move on because this is just people i think a lot of people get stuck and and i think people get dare i say this as someone who prides themselves in having an artist's soul
3: mm-hmm.
2: dare i say we get too stuck in our heads and hearts to sometimes like sometimes the first instinct is so good so good and rich and then we convince ourselves to feel it out for a long time and then we convince ourselves we shouldn't do it and that impulse that wonderful excitement and i've learned this by watching my daughters Mm because they just get these bright ideas and they run around and they want to do this and make that and do and i just i just always throw fertilizer on the on the on those lightning bolt moments where they're just lit up yeah (laughs) that's awesome let's do that because that's life force and that's what artists do right they want to do that they see they want a dancer wants to do one extra spin and one higher leap and an actor wants to go to that other that next level of depth and singers want to go to those next notes and hit things that have never been hit and olympic athletes want to do it and that's what drives us as human beings is because we want to get better and better and we're competitive as all fuck and we Mm -hmm. we're we're driven, and I love that. And I love that about New York because it's just so, everything here is visceral <laughs> and stakes are high. I love that, Yeah. Right? I love that because there's, there's no tolerance for mediocrity. There's places for it. Don't worry. It's yeah, not all yeah. just superstars here. But it'll chew you up pretty fast. And I like that because you have to stay on your game. It's like you're really riding a thoroughbred here. Yeah. Whether oh, it's real wow. estate or yeah. auditioning for films or anything. And, and I spent a couple of years in, in Los Angeles as a kid, really mm-hmm. like in my early 20s. That's when I got to be friends with, with Sean yeah. and some others. I mean, a lot of my friends are kind of famous now, and they, you know, that's great to see. But I didn't enjoy the journey there as yeah. much as I do here. And it's harder in New York. People are like, why are you? You love it there. <laughs> I can't explain it. I love type A people. Yeah, I love personalities. I love... I mean, I don't even know that it's cutthroat anymore because it's all I know, yeah. and I only realize what it is when I'm not here. So I'm leaving tonight to go to the Outer Banks of North Carolina with my family. We've mm-hmm. got a big house. And we'll decompress there a little bit, but I won't realize what New York is until I'm out of it. Interesting.
3: It's just funny. Yeah.
2: So it's a funny thing. that You just you have to step away to see what it is. Um, but I've got to say, with these, these videos that, that, yeah. that I love to do, it's real add value for my sellers too, because mm-hmm. their homes get more attention in a different light. And sometimes they're silly, sometimes they're reverent, sometimes they're bad, B-A-D. <laughs> sometimes they're really good. Sometimes they're high-minded. It depends on the mood that we're in. And when I say we, I mean Rob Bregman of Flash Frame Productions.
3: Yeah, he
2: really, he and I together have created something. It's like, it's like we're we're dancing partners in a way, you know, Interesting. He, he, because we really are, we, we, something about the way we play together, you know, there's that magic. And I, I there's certain actors that have that with a DP or a, or, or, or a director, right. Uh, you know, he, I'm like his muse and he's my, I don't know. <laughs> it's whatever the muse's muse is. Yeah. I know what you're talking but about we, this. So, yeah. yeah. We have fun and that's it. I, I And I know it's trite and cliche and it's, but fun is my indicator, right? Like it's my, it's my GPS really. So if it feels good, I'm in, I'm all in. And I go with my gut a lot. And if somebody gives me a weird vibe or I don't feel frankly safe to explore, Mm -hmm. then I, I get small and weird and I look at myself (laughs) and I step out of myself. But it's in those moments where I feel engaged and fun and safe Yeah to explore that I just thrive. Like who wouldn't, right? Who wouldn't? Yeah. And and uh I was doing sometimes I do these uh press things for real estate. Mm-hmm. And one of them led to a really interesting moment. It was a uh, th- there was a there's a show here called Open House New York and they run it on JetBlue sometimes and I think they have it in Los Angeles too and Yeah. They 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 ran my Greta Garbo piece there recently but for a while there, uh, before they began an affiliation with a different company, they were very – they used a, a variety of companies. and They were just a young show, and, and I was on it a lot, and I had so much fun because to me it was just like a field day, right, a field yeah. day to be on camera and NBC and toting, you know, touting properties and being, being whatever you are, silly, fun, serious, whatever you want it to be, and they gave me license and a long leash, and – they asked me to do a live segment with them on Wednesdays. They were, had an evening segment that went from like 5 to 6 all around the Tri-State, Connecticut, New York, and New Jersey areas and, and, uh, and other places too by way of, you know, the internet and cable and whatnot. But I would literally go on that show. I would have a few talking points. The red light live, you're live. Mm-hmm would be on and i gotta tell you it's such a rush i love it <laughs> i love that because i felt safe there yeah i felt engaged i felt prepared i felt i felt like i was uh, was there for a number of reasons the the banter i had with the gorgeous host sarah gore who's a, a friend of mine we we're texting today she's lovely in every way um and i learned so much about camera there so my tv experience there a little bit of film taste with with a beautiful mind mm-hmm. and I also got some nice advice and support from an extended family member, uh, the Uts. So there was a producer named named Kenny Utz uh, who did all Jonathan Demme's movies, right? And he was my grandfather's cousin. Okay. And when I moved to New York, he had done uh, Silence of the Lambs and, and oh, wow. know, I think Philadelphia at that point. But he was in, on his, in his last days. We actually got a phone call in, and then he passed away after that. And I never met him. I never shook his hand, but only on the phone. But I, I got to know his widow, and I got to know his kids. And I learned so much about him because he won an Oscar for mm. Silence of the Lambs. Oh, God, it's my, and, my and, favorite movie. <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like – he also did uh, a Bob Fosse picture, like all that jazz. Oh, God, the, yeah. An yeah. Interesting fake – Yeah. So and that I believe that was Demi too. Maybe I'm wrong, um, but at and then when his widow died just last year, or two years ago, I got to. I'm standing there like looking at my. I call her my. They're all my cousins, but she almost felt like my great aunt or
3: something. Mm-hmm.
2: I'm standing there, <laughs> giving my respects to Angie Ut and and there's Jonathan Demi right beside me. and wow. Before he died, and so yeah. we're just talking and he's like, yeah, yeah, Kenny and Angie are just. I know where you're from, man. I know, I know where your people are from. I know these people, and I know what you're, where you're from, Brian, because I know them. And to be considered part of that was kind of interesting, just even peripherally. But but we're just, my, my, my family, you know, my dad's side's from one part of Virginia, but my mom's is from, you know, the mountains of Virginia, which is a very different place. Hmm. And that's Kenny's people. That's Kenny's people. They were all from... You know the mountains of North Carolina Virginia there very you know all the things you would think that would mean, yeah that's my family and um, just to see us come to new york and 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 do good and huh. you know the Wall Street Journal rankings came out recently, and I was ranked number one thirty seven in America for volume out of one point two million agents yeah, and uh, of course the hermunculus that I have on one shoulder was like, yeah. And the other one was saying, well, why aren't you number, you know, <laughs> why aren't you number 50 or 20?
3: Right, right.
2: So, and again, that's that good old American drive that we should all have, quite frankly. That's healthy. I think, you have got to enjoy where you are. Yeah. But, but you also have to, you know, uh, you can't always look uh, in the rear view mirror. you always got to look through that windshield to, to go to that next place. And I'm always recalibrating, right, my mm-hmm. GPS, always, for my next journey. Like, what is the next journey? Like, what is, I want to take, take my videos up several notches. I'd love for more people to enjoy them, frankly. Who wouldn't? Um, I would love to take it to a different place. I, I love to – I don't know if I love acting. I love to play me, though. <laughs> I've gotten comfortable with me. And so if there's a character out there that's a lot like me, boy, will I play the heck out of that. Um, <laughs> I did a reading last night. A friend of mine wrote a play, and it was actually really good. Um, but it felt weird to be around the table reading again, playing a different type of person.
3: Interesting. It felt
2: refreshing, but I do feel like we play ourselves all day long, right? We do. Yeah. In business and, 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 and everything, you know, you, you put on your business attire, and you feel like, well, this is my costume, and this is my business mode, but... I don't know. It's all, it's all interesting and rich and fun and exhausting and happy and sad all at once. You know, it's, it's everything. It's life. And yeah, I, I feel I appreciate it every day. I, I, here I am talking to you on a podcast about filmmaking and how it coincides with an artist that went into real estate and does videos and uh, that's cool. I mean, People yeah. Magazine just ran my Greta Garbo one. They just ran that wow. People Magazine. Yeah, yeah. And and then before that, they ran one that I did for this condo in the village, and they said it's a couple years ago. They mm-hmm. said this is the the best, and then they said and the weirdest real estate <laughs> video we've ever seen. And uh, and I think I like the weirdest part better than yeah. the best.
1: Your work is it has that sense. It was like it was refreshing because. There is a courageousness to it in the real estate field, like it's simply, this is me. This is, but it totally was charming and it it sold the you and the property, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is genius. And um, oh well. Wow. And so I, I was, I, was men- I had mentioned that you know I was on Grimm, but I was acting with this this other actor who was he's a character actor in terms of he's we've seen him in Iron Man, American Sniper, Central Intelligence. His name is Tim Griffin. He's like a, he's the guy that it's always playing the FBI agents or the or the military people, so he's like right. not super famous, but he was just talking to us about stuff and and he was telling the main actor he's like oh no 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 my full time career is a, a real estate agent in Los Angeles that's right and I said that is awesome and I remember that's cool yeah and I remember hearing these stories of the um, the actors in the Mexican uh, soap operas that tell um tele, I forget what they call them telenovela yeah telenovela or, yeah yeah. yeah. So they were saying that because they weren't unionized, they would they could only make a little bit of money, and that was it. And then they would have to supplement their income either by being Uber drivers, but majority of them were like real estate agents down in Mexico. And I thought mm. that is fascinating. So when I saw that your work came full circle, when I found that you were um, an an actor in having that as your background, I like again that was I was like I was over the moon. Like oh my god, I have to got to get him on this podcast ah, so, so that nice. people could hear the, the value of this. Cause there's so many people, uh, artists, either they're actors or filmmakers. They, all they want to do is that, but sometimes like you said, maybe not be so scared of having a, like a, a, another career or a full-time career, but you, there's ways to connect the dots to, to still be expre- uh to express that artistic need and that, uh, that, that inner soul that you have and to me, what you've done is uh, very commendable and was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a, it's a, it's a pathway that I think other people need to see, that it's, it is possible to find that sort of fulfillment in, in bridging two worlds together.
2: Well, that's the way I look at it. Um, maybe it didn't start so high-mindedly. Maybe it was just ego, like, oh, wow, that would be fun, you know, like. <laughs> Oh wow! I can be on TV, but then I quickly realized the byproduct of that is okay, maybe a little ego boost. I've gotten kind of bored with uh, maybe that part of me has been fed. Uh, not enough, is it ever enough? Right. Uh, but 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 the byproduct was wow. People in the industry took notice. Wow. People Magazine. Wow. Wall Street Journal. Wow. Inman, which is this real estate oh yeah group that's sort of like the good housekeeping of real estate. They said you're top 10 most innovative in the country. And I was like, oh, wow. And then my sellers are happy because they get more eyes on their property. And then people come see it and they're like, hey, you're that guy. Would you sell my home? And then I'm making money. Like, yeah. talk about residual effect. And, and uh, you know, the key is that I've got to always keep it interesting. And, and half the time, and maybe it's quite apparent, but half the time I don't know what we're going to do until we start. <laughs> and and I, it's not from laziness. But we try to pick up the pieces and the mood that we're in yeah, and the place that we're in and play the house that we're in, literally play the house that we're in, um, you know, the play the room you're in and roll with it. So it is, it does have a little bit of a punk element, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and again, I've always been attracted to the people that are, you know, the guy who's on the ball team, who was a walk-on, who was random and came up the ropes a different path Yeah. or... Or the, you know, the uh, Howard Stern. I mean, I'm not, not talking about his content as much as I am his punk approach.
3: Right. The, he he,
2: he kind of comes at it a different way, and I've always liked that. I don't know why. I've always been interested in that. I, I'm less interested in the people that go through the front door. I'm always interested in the people kind of getting in through the side door and then making it big. I love an underdog. Yeah, I love yeah. an underdog story. Love it—the you know, bad news bears kind of thing when you were a kid <laughs> watching those movies. I love it. It's just something more authentic and real and fun about it. And you know, I didn't come to New York with a big roster of rich friends, and I mm-hmm. wasn't raised on Park Avenue. And that's okay if you were. God bless you. And and I, but I kind of came at it. You know, I was a kid who was. You know, I just came up here. Didn't know a lot of people, did my best, and worked it out. And I'm still doing it every day, every day. I don't feel like I'm done, and that keeps me hungry, and I think that's fantastic. And I, I think in life you have to keep asking for more um, in, in a nice way, in a way that makes you feel good about yourself, your soul, your life, and all that. And, and I think the day we quit asking for more is the day we die. I really think yeah. that. I, yeah. I, I think that if you ever look in the mirror and go, I'm completely satisfied. Just shoot, geez. I want to. I'm always wanting to, and that doesn't mean I won't enjoy where I am. Because you have to hit different plateaus when you're climbing, right? You hit plateaus, you collect yourself, and then you're like, "Oh, mother, I didn't even know there were more peaks up there." Yeah, I thought this was the peak. Okay, moving on. And isn't that great? Isn't that fun? Um, to be able to do that. Yeah. I don't know where it's all going to lead, but I'm having fun with the journey, and I think that's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. kind of fun. Boy, it's it's gonna be exciting to see where you go because you're still way young. There's like well, that's
2: kind of you, my friend. <laughs> Keep drinking, <laughs> whatever you're drinking. I get younger and younger the more you drink. And you're right. Part of the theme of your podcast is we're not limited now to what other people tell us we're allowed to do. We can all make movies on our darn iPhone. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can all make distribution deals. Writers can publish. Painters can put stuff out there, and. And it's, it's a very democratic time. It's a very crowded field, but it's very empowering, right? Yeah. We have the power. And so have fun with that and create something new. And let's create a new paradigm here. And let's, let's be on the cutting edge, because that's where the fun is. Yeah. Where I, the pain and sorrow is, too. But <laughs> I'd rather be on the cutting edge than just sort of watching it happen.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: And Gosh. we have so many stories to tell right now. Our world, our world is the best it's ever been and the worst it's ever been all in one time. And and I think that's what it charges me up about New York, right? Because yeah. You have, we have the best and the worst of everything on the same block. We have the most beautiful thing and the most <laughs> ugly thing all on the same block or on the same train car. And it's like, Whoa, this is humanity. It's messy. This is messy. So let's, artists can take all the mess and put a little filter on it and make it something interesting and tell a story it's just fascinating what we've got it all right here there's so much there's so much so much to do with it so many stories to tell yeah and so many great
1: voices to tell it cool hey we're back so um i don't know what do you think
0: Ron? About- Man, this this guy's on it, right? I mean, it definitely what I loved about it, it hit me just right. I mean, you mentioned before we started about something about being in our 40s and looking at our nine to five. And then here's Brian having to face with this and and the success he was able to garner from that. Of course, I gotta love that he's from Virginia, my home state. <laughs> so I, I you know it's a deeper resonation with me. But so I'm prior military and we get uh, the GI Bill, and there's some training elements that we get when you kind of get out. Of uh, the military, and he really had that unique opportunity that um, SAG had allowed him to get cross-trained into, uh, you know, into being a real estate agent. I had no idea that that was there during the strike there, and I remember that strike too uh, when there was a lot of challenges for a lot of actor friends of mine trying to make it happen. So the fact that he was able to get cross-trained just remind me. Of a lot of, uh, you know, if you're a film trooper out there and you're in the military, there's we've got to kind of do both that balance of that, having that nine to five and yet being responsible. I mean, I have a a wife and four little girls, so mm-hmm. they're kind of counting on me to to bring home the bacon. So I got to have that income. And then be able to also live out my calling because I'm not giving up filmmaking. I Mm -hmm. decided that a long time ago. So I really resonated with Brian had to say, how he was able to strike that balance.
1: Yeah. And I should probably clarify that, you know, um, again, there's a longer interview with Brian. If you want to get the full interview, go to FilmTrooper.com forward slash 140 for episode 140. But he has this really great story about where he was hired to be Russell Crowe's stand-in for uh, Beautiful Mind you know so he's working at the the highest level with Ron Howard and his crew and you know this is the oscar winning film where um uh Russell Crowe got the oscar as well as Jennifer Conley. and so like you know he was around like the top of the top at the time and like i said you, you might have heard a little bit in the interview where i was just uh, excited for him cuz he had an opportunity basically to play a scene with Jennifer Connelly because um, they needed to do the pickup shot and she needed the eye line, but you know he's required to work off book because you know Russell Crowe was asking him um, in the to, if he could work off book. So there there was actually a lot of acting chops that he needed, and I don't know if you it was in the interview or not, but uh, if I, I I forget the. You know, Ron Howard got him a chance to be on camera as one of the professors at the end of the movie where he's th- oh, cool. he says, you know, professor. Like he has one line it says, professor and so on. So, you know, he was around that for months. So he saw the top of the line, what it's, what it means. And, uh, it was just kind of a neat story. But, you know, he's humbled. And the reality is, it's like, again, he's like one of the top, you know, New York City realtors. And like he's no joke. And it's one of those things like, um, He's always approached everything he's done at that high level. He actually, he, you know, w- what you didn't really hear about was he was working as like, kind of like a concierge uh, bellboy for one of the f- the Four Seasons or something, like one of the top of line mm. hotels. So he learned the uh, the craft and the uh, the excellence of cu- excellent customer service, understanding that. So again, he had this skill set. He had the skill set as a, a, a performer, as a skill set, as um, working in the service industry, uh, you know, delivering high-quality, five-star you know, um, uh, customer service. So he just took the same skill sets, applied it to an industry and a sales mechanism that allowed him greater you know, income, you know, which was real estate. And again, he's now connecting the dots where he's able to make these amazingly f- fun videos. So now he's an mm-hmm. actor. I mean, he's but he's also like a, a go-to person on uh, a personality on on television. Um, you know, all of the, all that stuff has come full circle. And I remember I don't yeah. know if you remember that famous Steve Jobs uh, um, commencement speech he did for Stanford students years ago, where he talked about connecting the dots. He could not. He talked about. He had no idea why he had such a love for calligraphy when he was in college. Why would he take this class? What what would it have any relevance to? Well, when they would create the Macintosh, he was so passionate about the fonts being very artistic. Otherwise, we were stuck with like MS-DOS fonts, you know? <laughs> yeah. So right. he was talking about all these things about you know connecting the dots in your life. And to me, you know, Brian Luce was that example. And for hopefully anybody listening out there, maybe there's something right in front of your – under your nose – that you, you might be stuck and you're, wait a minute, I can actually combine my love for this and maybe the profession I'm doing, you know, maybe yeah. there's an avenue there. And uh, yeah. I, I thought that was really um, inspiring.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was. No, he was a great, great communicator. It seemed like a really, really super humble guy. Um, and you can tell he's at the, you know, definitely the top tier of his game and still has a passion for storytelling and being a filmmaker, you know, he does feel like another, just another film trooper. He's just one of us, yeah. just in a different place, different location, and just given a different perspective of how we can all keep it together. Because at the end of the day, you know, bills are coming in. We got we got to pay those bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it doesn't mean, you know, I fought that fight a while ago too. Is just because I'm not in my calling full time doesn't mean I'm a, I'm a failure. Because I think there's a lot of film troopers out there that think man, I can't do this full-time. I, I'm not a real filmmaker. And that's just not true. We're just at a different time, a different place these days.
1: Yeah. And interesting that you brought that up because we know a lot of people in the industry. And the reality is they might be working on some high-profile you know, television shows or movies. But, if, but there comes a point where they're like, I just, you know, I want to make my movie. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like the reality is they're working a full-time job. Their full-time job just happens to be in the industry but a lot of them you know are still looking for ways to break away to make their own thing. You meet yeah. we meet tons of people that own their own production companies that are working for ad agencies that you know they make a living because they are um you know uh, making commercials or web ser- you know web content but they're they're being contracted by an ad agency and but when they're dealing with clients and you know that's how they make their their living, they make their money, they're still a part of them like well, on the weekends, we're trying to shoot our short film. Like, right. we, we want to, we still want to do our thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's really funny. But the reality is, we all pretty much have full time jobs. It's just that some of them are in, you know, uh, related fields, like in the, um, the production company or, you know, you're actually in the film industry working, you know, all these different variations in, in the unions. Or you're on a different track. You're and you have something that has nothing to do with it but maybe yep. there's a way to connect both of them. So, that was that yeah. was interesting. Well, let me jump to the second um, part of this uh, uh episode with his this interview with Paul Bright, who's a actor but also a filmmaker who's made I think like five feature films. And we had met at, at a a restaurant um here just on um near Oregon City, which is the old capital of Oregon. And so it's kind of loud you hear it, but, you know, you can hear it, basically we're in a restaurant and yeah. um, Paul's been all over the place. He was from Los Angeles and then to New York and then to like, I think, Austin. And now he's in, in, in Oregon and near Bend, which is near central Oregon. Um, what's fascinating to me about Paul when you listen to him is here's somebody I think a lot of people could relate to in a sense that he's been able to make his films and sell them. And and make a little bit of money off you know off each one of them, and the idea is to have enough a little bit of those money so that you can you know live a life where you can make the next film, and the only way he can do that is he keeps his means down. So it's not like, you know, like um, he's was able to like buy a home in Oregon and and but you know basically I think own it outright you know and just live a very um, minimalistic lifestyle. But allows him to still pursue his dream for filmmaking. So that I think this might be really interesting for a lot of people to connect with. Um, so why don't we jump into the second half of uh, the episode with uh, filmmaker Paul Bright, which you can find him at paulbrightfilms.com. He, all right, here we go. And yeah, there,
4: I mean there are lots and lots of actors who debate about you know what job what job should they get so they can pursue their their artists desire yeah you know and the debate that they often have is should I get a dumb job where I don't have to think about it yep or should I get a job that's more demanding that requires 100% of my attention yeah and in all honesty if you get the dumb job then your brain is shutting down yeah and it's not it's not invigorating you to be inspired to go do the stuff that also inspires you of creating the art yeah if you get the job that's invigorating to you then your brain is functioning, you know, constantly while you're at work, and it's still actually functioning when you get off work to go pursue your artistic endeavor, whatever that may be, if it's acting or if it's making a movie or writing a book or a novel, whatever.
1: Actually, I want to explore that a little bit more, like unpack that a little bit more, because it's, sure. it's really fascinating, because um, you're right. It's like I have friends, it's like they just, they've been doing a job for a while, but it gives them the opportunity to, to pursue acting, or, you know, and it has that flexibility. Um, then there's other friends that they want to be filmmakers. They are filmmakers, but the, the, the business that they created in terms of like, you know, dealing with clients in terms of, okay, they're, they're in a video production, film production, but to pay the bills, they've got to take on whatever, making a web commercial, commercial, like all these client things. And it overtakes them. And then they, then they're once in a while they're on the side going, okay, we're going to make, like one for ourselves or like a short film for ourselves. Um, But a lot, uh, or they use the short film as like another example of what they can do to get more clients, you know, more client work. Um, And sometimes the client work can be very fulfilling, depending how much control you have. Sometimes. 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 Yes. But there is that battle. And um, there's, the the interesting thing was, you know, I don't know how, how much you know, the, like, my story back um, with a Film Trooper and so on, but, like, had worked at Sony PlayStation for, like, 12 years. And the great story there was not for me, but, like, here I, here I was. I was running the department, which we had, like, you know, we had 100-some people in, internally, and then we had 500 people overseas. Like, it was just nuts. It was a, basically like a visual effects company that were just running making movies. So I was making movies or overseeing all that kind of stuff. But across the way in this little building was a programmer who was quietly on his own, making a film at his house quietly. Not everybody knew what was going on, and it turns out to be paranormal activity. So Oren Pele, who who made it, and I thought that was really fascinating because we would have conversations in our department all the time. All the other, all these filmmakers, but we got to make a film. We got all this access, this equipment, all these great people, but we were so exhausted. For making movies all day long, that nobody had like any energy to do anything else after it, you know, like it was like too good of a job, I guess. But at the same time, uh, a lot of people just didn't have anything to say, you know. It was interesting, like the technicians of film. We were all there, but sometimes we just nobody did anything. So it was really fascinating to see someone who's still being, cr- you know, challenged mentally and 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 you know, creatively as a programmer. But using his other skill sets as a, a passion just to explore on his own to make a film and then go, it became what it was, you know, right. Hollywood, Hollywood lore. Right. So that was really fascinating with me. to me. It's like, and you know, he, in, my, in my interview with him, he was, I want to go step by step. He held on to his job as long as he could until he knew for sure, like, he was in the out, you know. It wasn't like. You know, hey, I got a deal, I'm quitting. You know, yeah. it's like, no. It wasn't, I won the you lottery. Know, yeah, yeah. He <laughs> was, it, it wasn't like overnight. It, it was like, they, he got strung along for a year. Like, and and it was getting really bad at work. So it's like, it's like the whole story arc. The Dark Knight of the Soul, like, it looked bad. Like, nothing, like, nothing was going to happen. He was stuck in this job. He was like, going out of his mind. And all of a sudden, it broke. Like, something happened. So it's like, that's a fairy tale dream that we have. But... Yeah, I'd love to kind of explore that more of like, um, what type of jobs have you seen other people be successful with? Um, we've seen people like maybe, how do you say it, there's, it's almost like a lot of sound guys in uh, the business, um, they're, they're exceptional engineers, they know all this kind of stuff, but it's really funny because a lot of them actually come from some sort of like, they're all like past rock stars, Yeah. or you know what I mean, like, you yeah. know, like, yeah. the, 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 like, like they had this thing where they were being like rock stars and they learned audio engineering and then they became into the film industry that way um ad agency guys a lot of people you meet that are the creative directors and stuff like that they all want to be movie directors right. like you know it's so i'm sure people listening to this are like I'm that guy I know what you're talking about here I am right. so so
4: well I mean I think a lot of the challenges so if your full time job job you're working for a company and they're paying you they're hiring you to create video content yeah or to create creative content yeah, that can be fully and completely absorbing, especially if their expectation of you is to be available 12 hours a day yeah. or 14 hours a day right yeah and make movies like make movies and for be us. making constantly movies and also to be generating ideas for short stories to, that are turning into commercials or other things like that so yeah your brain is totally wrapped around creating content. There's not a whole lot of other room to be creating your own content on top of that. The example you gave is it was a programmer who yeah. came up with the storyline and the concepts for paranormal yeah. asylum, right?
1: And he had this this need because he was he felt like he's he hit a wall with his programming career. Yeah. And so he was like, I want to explore another creative outlet for myself. So there was this outlet to it. Right. Like you said, as opposed to when your outlet is what you're being paid to do to, right. on a constant basis, right. you, you you need something totally different sometimes to decompress. To bring, and I don't right. know. Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, I think the vast majority of the people who are n- newer filmmakers in this country don't have those kind of jobs where they're <laughs> making commercials or you know video content for games. They're working jobs like as a waiter, yep. front desk reception, or as you know a reception or administration. Um, any any of those kind of jobs. And so there's, that's where they are the ones who are raising the question about, do I get a, a slightly better paying job but it's going to be taking all my time or do I just go work as a waiter where I don't think about it as soon as I leave the office?
1: Right. right. There's, there's a fella in town um, uh, that has a job like that. Like he purposely decided, I'm taking like kind of like a night shift job where it's down low and he put himself like, I'm just going to write scripts and make movies and, and he's been doing it over the last few years. Um but every time I see him, it looks like uh, he's he's doing it, but at the same time, like, oh my God, you look like you're The Walking Dead. He's like I never see somebody so exhausted. Right. Yeah. So,
4: I mean, so I made... So I had full-time jobs when I made my first five films. Yeah. And I kept those full-time jobs all during that time. Um so with with the, my first movie, this was back in the mid nineteen nineties when I made this movie. I don't tell anybody about this movie. Um, <laughs> I didn't release it, so it was a great learning experience. Um, we shot it on film, so it was there were lots and lots of challenges. But in that particular case. I was working for an airline, mm-hmm. and almost everybody I cast in that film were co-workers of mine from the airline. Nice. So my <laughs> employer knew, my friends knew the people I was hanging out with, everybody knew that I was making this movie, and the time that we filmed it in was my vacation time for that year. Yeah. And then all the rest of the time preparing for it, well, I was doing that when I was not at work. And mm-hmm. then, of course, when I was at work, there were plenty of times when you daydream when you're having a job, and so <laughs> I'm daydreaming about the movie or about figuring out ways to make the film right right so 10 years later i make the next movie and at that time i'm working for the railroad and there was no way in hell i was going to tell anybody on the railroad that i was making a movie (laughs) because that is just not part of the culture when you work on a railroad right Right. Um, and i worked on the railroad for several more years during all that time and made several movies nobody knew i was doing it um i was doing all the prep time when i was not working the real challenge, actually, is dealing with your family for all this, because hmm. you're gone at work, and then when you're home, you're obsessively working on your film, your baby. Right. So the challenge for the ones who love you is they want some of your attention, you know? They, they don't want to be neglected and forgotten. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're drawn in three ways. You've got your paying job, you've got your passion, and then you've got your family who you love. And somehow you have to do all those things. Well, so I wind up sleeping four hours a night. Yeah. But the thing is about filmmaking is you do filmmaking because you passionately want to create the story. You want to make this movie to tell the story to be seen. You know, all those reasons why you're making your movie. That is worth only getting four hours sleep. Yeah. For a month. It was also worthwhile when it comes
1: to shooting days, like, your 10-hour, 12-hour days is not like the norm, but it's kind of understood, like, we've got to get the shot, we got to get the shot, go, we, go, we, go. We yeah, gotta, yeah, yeah, right, yeah.
4: I tried to only film eight hours a day. There are a couple of times I had <laughs> yeah, to yeah. film 12 hours um, for various reasons, but, I mean, yeah, I mean, you have to. And the thing, to, so on the very first movie that I made, I shot it, and I did not schedule a day after the end of shooting to just decompress. Mm-hmm. And it turns out there was still work that I needed to do to take care of putting returning equipment and so forth. Oh, on the boy. first day, I was supposed to be back at work. Oh. So I called in sick, and everybody knew I wasn't sick. Mm. Right? So there were some problems at work over that yeah. issue. So, you, uh, you know, you kind of have to make this decision. Do you even tell anybody that you're working with that you're doing this thing on the side? Right. Because if you need to call in sick to take care of your passion project, you don't want them to know that's funny it's a, uh, Oren Peli from uh, Paranormal Activity he talked
1: about that he's like he, he had accrued all these in the gaming industry you accrue sometimes a lot of vacation time so he was taking his time because he, he accrued it he accrued it but they started one they started getting weird on him to like what's this for and like he wouldn't say because he doesn't have to like there's no law like I have to tell you what I'm doing he was just you know going to meetings and the festivals like you know all the follow up and stuff so it it was fascinating to see like even him in like this corporate job but what happened eventually to him unfortunately was uh, they 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 were writing him up to let him go but just as he let, let go is when the the deal went through and like, it, like overnight, you know, so it was meant to be it meant to be for him. It right? was perfect. Yeah. Now these are great fun stories to think about. Most of us are like, I'm not in that boat. I
4: did it. And I just got fired <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and my film didn't get sold or like nothing like that. But yeah. So the, the last movie that I had a full-time job with that I made, um, I was actually in upper management. I was the second in command of a nonprofit organization. And I had told my boss, and we had just finished a huge project with this nonprofit organization, and I told my boss at that time, okay, well, I'm going to take my vacation you know, in a month for a week and a half. And my boss was livid, lividly angry at me that I how could I possibly leave for a week and a half at a time instead of just taking a vacation day here and there spread throughout the year. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. So, I mean, there was a lot of tension over that, but I was not going to back down because... I wasn't living for working at this nonprofit job. I loved the job and I enjoyed doing yeah. the job, but that wasn't the purpose of my life.
1: Right, right. The purpose
4: of my life was to make movies. So the job had to be a job that would support me in making movies. Right. Otherwise I'll go get another job. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so I mean if you're if you're at that point in your life where you know what you are intended to do, what your real driving passion is Make everything else in your life support that. hmm It also means that you make a lot of decisions that are sometimes painful to get to that point. I mean, sometimes you take lower-paying jobs because the hours will work out better with what you want to be doing outside of work. Yeah. You know, so you, you kind of have to decide, well, what's the most important things in my life? Where am I going to put my priorities and my energy? In my particular case, it's in filmmaking. Everything else except family goes behind that.
1: Well, I wanted to talk about this guy's story. The, the, the screenwriter for um, Jackie that was up for an Oscar. Um, he wrote that got on the blacklist. Um, his name is uh, Noah Oppenheim. and it, interesting about Noah, this is what was fascinating to me. Here's a guy who uh, went to like an Ivy League school. It was got into, like, broadcast journalism, and it, but he got, like, his first job in reality TV. But he made all these connections in the TV, reality TV, TV world, and then, but he was, like, 30-something, and he's like, I want, but I want to get into the film business. I always wanted to write screenplays. And so his advice from, like, some smart people said, look, there's two ways you can make this happen. One, you can start at the bottom as an assistant and work your way up into the, you know, the producing ranks. Or write something. The second thing was just write something. So he's like, I'm kind of old, you know, for starting at the bottom and doing the assistant route, so I'm just going to have to write something. So he wrote Jackie. He got into the the contest and got listed as a blacklist script. And from that, he got representation, and then he got uh, work to work on the Maze Runner movies. But then, you know, Jackie finally got made. But before it was even made, because it took, whatever, 10 years for that thing to, like, happen... He still needed a day job, even though he was working as a professional screenwriter for, you know, movies that we heard that major studios put together. um, But the difference is his day day job was quite interesting because his past experience in the reality TV world was that um, people he knew asked him to be the showrunner for the, the Today Show. So he became the new uh, showrunner of the Today Show, and I remember when Jackie came out, they had this—they had this whole segment of the Today Show doing this whole thing about Jackie because they knew the, their boss was like the guy who wrote it, and here he was, and he's still doing screenwriting for uh, jobs for the studios, so, but he's working this really, you know, um, demanding j job, in you know high profile, but I thought that was fascinating because it was like. Here we are, we think that's like, you know, somebody writing, "I got it. My movie's being picked up." Or is I, I'm working as a, uh, a scriptwriter for these, uh, these movies. He goes, but even them, even at that level, they're still grabbing a full-time day job. Um, yes, it's a high-profile job. Another story was um, some of the actors in the Mexican um, soap operas that are they're really well known, the televisas. Um, they're not unionized. Recently, they got unionized, but prior to this, they hadn't. So they got the actor got paid once. That's it, done deal. When they're not working on the shows, they had to supplement their I- income like any normal person would. And a lot of them became like Uber drivers. And so here, you know, some fan jumps in the back, goes, "Hey, aren't you that guy on that's our favorite show?" And he, he would say, "Yeah, I get that a lot." And
4: but oh, but not admit that it's him.
1: Yeah, not admit that it was him. Oh wow. wow. So but he also mentioned that. A lot of the actors supplemented their income either as Uber drivers or, for actors, real estate agents, which is, that kind of gave the spark for me to go, oh, maybe I'll go down that route. Uh, I thought that was fascinating. Mm -hmm. And then we hear about these um, directors. I remember with uh, uh, Jared Hess, who did uh, Napoleon Dynamite. You know, he got a chance to make the next film, *Nacho Libre*, and but after that, um, I think he was listed as like a director that you would see doing commercials. So they're making their their day job. they they you know they're living by whatever corp- corporate you know entities asking them to come in and come and direct this ad agency commercial, whatever it might be. Um, even famous documentarians that have like documentaries, they're still working in the field of making their living by you know picking up these jobs. So I thought that was, in retrospect, it's sort of like, that's really kind of what's going on, and it's okay. Like for anybody who's out there is wondering, like, is that there's only a few like small one percent that can really just truly like, I make a movie, I make enough money from that that I sit back and I work on the next one, I make the next one, or an artist, I'm an a- you know, right. actors are able to make a living. Like you said, there's actors who make livings just straight theaters you know the, theater, uh, you know, uh, stage performers and there's right. other ones that are, do really well and they're just kind of unknown character actors in oh, LA especially man if you're in a casting session I remember working for Sony and we needed to get like uh, certain actors brought in for our, our, uh, our sessions and it was like all like the character actor roles they weren't like pretty roles but every well known character actor you could have ever imagine in LA just shows up and you're just like I was blown away. I was like, "I know you. I like you've been in everything. You've been in everything. You've been in everything." And you were (laughs) talking to my friend, the casting director. She was just like, "You know, there's only a handful of them in town, right? So when you you have a job, you have a, and there aren't that
4: many jobs for them, right? So
1: so when you come calling all
4: the way in, you know, it's like you get to see them all. I thought that was really really fascinating. Yeah, the, the challenge with the Los Angeles, LA has this attitude. At least they used to. They probably still do. That if you're an actor and you're working another job. You're not a successful actor. Right. And that's just, an, that's just Los Angeles where I experienced that. Now, in New York, they expect that. And so in Los Angeles, by the way, they'll, they'll put out a casting call and they expect you to be there two hours later. I mean, yeah, you, like you can jump. In New York, they put out a casting call for tomorrow because they know you have a regular job. <laughs> and they know you need to schedule in order to be able to make that casting call. It's a very different mentality you know New York has got this concept that you're a real human being and they don't expect you to be somebody who you're not and so you can actually have a real job and they expect to see you working in your real job somewhere and that doesn't mean they don't think anything less of you as a performer just because you're also working at the front desk
1: I have a friend that mentioned he's like the difference between like LA and New York is like you know the film industry can go away in New York and New Yorkers will be New York Yes, the absolutely. film industry goes away in L.A. I'm like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> well, there'll be some empty buildings. Yeah, that's yeah, for exactly. sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just funny you said that because I remember, like, you know, playing time working in L.A. and have all these acting friends, and I'm thinking, like, they did like one movie or like, but they were like one small role, but they're driving around as if they like, as if they're mm, famous. Yeah, the Range Rovers. Like, where did you? Ki-? Like, I'm. I was looking around, going, Where are? What do you guys do for a living? Because can't, that can't just be it. Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. <laughs> when you talk to actors in L.A., they'll often you know, I'll say, hey, what have you been up to lately? And they're like, oh, I just made this movie, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, you made that movie two years ago. <laughs> what have you been doing for the last two years? And they can't tell me because they don't want me to know that they're doing something other than acting. Yeah. And that's terrible. That's a horrible way to live your life. You know, as a filmmaker, I've been very open always that, look, (laughs) I had regular jobs to get started. I even paid for my own movies when I got started because nobody was going to give me money to make these movies, you know. So, yeah, I used my credit cards. The worst thing they tell you, never use your own money and never use credit cards. Well, I did.
1: There you go. Right. You know, it reminds me of, um, you mentioned the L.A.s, L.A. world, about how, yeah, they do expect you. You got an audition, two hours. What? Uh, oh, yeah. And that's why most people you see working in, like, <laughs> dating in that town, and my friends who lived in that town, too, they said it was very hard to date because it was, it's almost, it's like this unwritten rule. Like, it's it's given that everybody's there for their career and moving up. So I think that's why La La Land was interesting because it really kind of captures that, that that concept or that spirit of that culture of when he says, look, if you get this opportunity, you got to give it your all and go. Right. and you sacrifice a relationship bef- because of it um, and the same thing is like I, uh, if, if you're not in an industry but you're living in LA like I all my friends these girls that um, would say oh my god I met this really cute guy of course but it's a bummer he's an a- like a waiter because everybody's like you know what that means he's an actor he's an actor yes. <laughs> like, but that makes sense because if you're, you have to be available throughout the day for your acting classes and, and auditions and then the only time you can work is at night mm-hmm. so that's sort of like the coveted jobs that they Yeah, it's funny because in, in New
4: York it's often flipped because a lot of actors will also be working stage jobs at night. <laughs> so really, they're looking for daytime jobs yeah. that they can leave, that they can take a half-hour break from to go to an audition and then come back and keep working.
1: It's amazing. Yeah.
4: So, that's kind of, so when I was an actor in L.A., I was really frustrated. I was really, really frustrated. I wound up volunteering a lot at organizations because I was bored out of my mind. Yeah. Going to auditions is not the most exciting thing in your life. You know, it doesn't give you things to think about for days or, you know, challenges. So just going to auditions and then working for a day or two in front of a camera is not very fulfilling. At least it wasn't to me. Right. Right. And so, but then I couldn't get a regular job because then I wouldn't be available. And if anybody knew that I didn't, Mm -hmm. that I had a regular job, that would have spelled my death for my career. Right. Um, so that was really tough. So I was volunteering because being a volunteer is okay, ah. right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if anybody had seen me doing a real job, they would go, oh, well, he's not really successful. Maybe we shouldn't hire him. It's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. So, anyway, I don't work in L.A. anymore, and I'm not in New York, um, and I'm still making independent films, which is awesome. So, you know, <laughs> the great thing about being an indie filmmaker is that I have total control. The other thing that it used to be, when you were a filmmaker, your distributor could set a lot of rules about what you could or could not put in the movie, or you know, they could have mm-hmm. control over the final cut of the film. Yeah. None of that exists anymore. You can actually make whatever you want to make exactly the way you want to make it, and nobody else will touch it. We didn't used to have that freedom. That's very, very new in this country. Very new.
1: Yeah, and it's, it's fascinating to see these young people coming up. They don't have that perspective. I mean, they, you know, um, they're just making stuff and, but I can see them in terms of they're making stuff to then, um, you know, that, that they get a real enough, you know, a, a demo reel, like this is what I've been able to do. Uh, but it's almost like we do have this new generation of sort of, um, what we call like the Vimeo generation because they're, it's just like, everybody is like a videographer or cinematographer and showing the, the, the latest reels, um, we're beginning to see some semblance of some them combining it with uh, storytellers, you know. Because then there's people that just want to be writers. So it's really interesting if you can get if you have a passion for writing to connect with somebody who has a passion for the cinematography, and then then is there a director in there someplace who has a, who who really has a, a passion to to tell the story or to interpret it in a way to bring the the two worlds together? Because right now there's a lot of the film festival stuff you'll see is. Sort of a glorification, sort of the Vimeo's um, generation. So it's like music, a lot of pretty stuff, and then at the end you're like, I just, but there's there was nothing there. It was like a lot of um, no story. Yeah. Well, what what, was, yeah. what did
4: I learn from this? What am I going to remember from this?
1: Right. And so then, um, what's my takeaway?
4: Yeah. I so I, I, it'd be
1: interesting to see they're getting work at, you know um, connecting with ad agencies or or clients that they're doing stuff for. So. You know, people listening here is probably going to you know, find themselves yeah I'm in that boat or I'm a photographer I do most of my stuff times is to photographers but then I like to do videography or cinematography um, yeah and then like it's, it's, it's bonkers to see so many different variations of it and finding really what we're trying to get at is like is there an opportunity for you still to have the support system in place to have a personal story told through the lens of, of cinema um, in that way the short film uh, we saw a web series or somebody I remember a couple of years ago they were trying to kill the term web series and just call it original series you know just make call it original series or whatever it might be and then you know filmmakers and so yeah it's it's, it's fascinating to hear your perspective and your experience you know in terms of like um, of you know people we know and in, in our in our own our own history of dealing with, like, full-time job. I remember making The Cube. When I made The Cube, I had my full-time job. I was, like, right. I was only doing... I could only make the movie, like, two to three hours here and there, four hours there. I, I never put it in, like, an eight-hour day or ten-hour day. Oh, wow. So, so you were really spurts. it was it really out. just, like, wow. spurts. It was, like, here's wow. one scene. I think we get this scene done in, like, a couple hours. And... Um, now, that's yeah. tough. That's, that's tough. really tough. So everything was kind of broken up in... Um, I even had one I had a scene with th- th- uh, where were three actors and we lost the actress halfway through so I had to on the fly figure out like um, we're just going to do it where the other two actors look in the direction where she was at and then I'll just cut it all together later yeah, but you know, yeah that kind of stuff happens all the time yeah. but it was fascinating cuz you know I'm working full time job I'm excited to get off work to know that I'm going to shoot a one a, a, a 2 or 3 hour scene or that I'll have th- 2 or 3 hours after work to do something so it became like this, there's sprints. I was reading this book right now called um, Full Engagement. It's about this concept that it's not really about time management because we can't control time, but what we want to do is try to control our energy right. so that energy applied to uh, energy management is actually the key to uh, optimal performance. And so it's in the countering uh, the concept that like life is a marathon. And their thinking is life is a series of sprints so, you know, any film you do is a series of sprints. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah.
4: Well, I mean, from my perspective, it's a steady stream of many, many different sources of income. Mm-hmm. So the more content you create and the more places you're able to put it out there into the world, then you have these little tiny streams all feeding in. And the goal being that you can create enough of these little tiny streams that you have enough river of money to be comfortable.
1: I remember being up in uh, L.A. and I met... Um, uh, this producer, but his roommate wrote a very, very popular song, and like that's it. Like his claim of fame, he wrote this song, and, and he was making, he made like whatever two hundred fifty thousand a year off just the royalties of this one song. The problem was he was in, he he left. He was in L. A. And he was living a lifestyle of four hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. So we see that a lot in the yeah. world because they're trying to uphold, like you said, this image, you know, that, that you're successful. Successful. Right. I, it, most people freak out of their mind. Going, can you imagine if you wrote one song and you were getting two hundred fifty thousand a year for that. Most people that are not in the LA base, but they're somewhere they're living, like, oh my gosh, I would live like a king.
4: That would be incredible. Yeah, I could do anything I want. Well, so no. All, no, no, not in
1: relative. If, if you were deciding to live a lifestyle of four hundred thousand, um, I remember me and the guys. Um, uh, there was a band in the '90s, a Gin Blossoms from like Arizona, had a few hits. You know, uh, the, you know, you, you hear in the radio. Like, I remember that song. Well, you know, what what do they do with that money? And that that they bought a modest like upper middle class home and that was it. Like right. it wasn't like and then they turned into the next career paths. A lawyer, you know, some businessman. Like it's this is stuff that happens in that creative field. And so Right, that's right. Um, I mean
4: I, I learned from my time in LA I was never I never liked trying to impress people. And I and so LA was a very com- uncomfortable experience for me because it was all about the impressions. Mm-hmm. So what I learned and the way that I live now is I live very humbly. Yeah, I own the house outright. The expenses are very low, very, very low. It costs us almost nothing to live. And so that takes all the pressure off of whether or not a lot of money is going to come in this month because there aren't that very many bills to pay. If I was trying to impress people, I couldn't do it. Yeah, I would be constantly stressed about money, and I'd be spending all this money trying to impress other people. Well, yeah, if you're an actor in L.A., you need to be impressing other people. If you're an indie filmmaker, you don't have to impress anybody. You just do what you do. Do what you do. Hey, um, if I can, um, I would like to ask if any of your listeners are interested. So I came up with this marketing idea, which they may be interested in using in the future. I learned this from somebody else very recently. Um, I have put together an e-zine, which is an electronic magazine which a lot of right, filmma- right, a lot right. of cartoonists create. Yeah. So this is my first e-zine. Anybody about to create an e-zine for my newest movie that's coming out. And so anybody can go to my website, which is paulbrightfilms.com, and they can put their email address in there and I'll send them this e-zine. So the great thing about this that you as filmmakers could learn is you could create your own e-zine for the movie that you're working on and you can build your mailing list from making this available for the public.
1: Oh, really right. cool.
4: And it, it, it gets people excited to see your movie when they're seeing all these, you know, premiere pictures of things that are behind the scenes and understanding mm-hmm, what's going mm-hmm. on. So anyway, if you want to see what I'm doing to build excitement in my next movie, then just, you know, send me that message and I'll be happy to send that to you. And you can do the exact same thing for your premiere movies.
1: That's awesome. And where's that's just paulbrightfilms.com.
4: Uh, paulbrightfilms.com, yeah.
1: I'll make sure we get that all in there.
4: <laughs> cool. I like it. Awesome, man. Thank awesome. you so much. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having
1: me. Yeah, and we're back. So um, anyhow, what did you think of uh, just my conversation with Paul back and forth?
0: Yeah, again, I mean, just, uh, you know, it really resonates. I feel like when you're talking with these guys that they could just be a buddy of mine. You know, another, again, just a, a fellow film trooper trying to make it happen. I loved what you how you kind of set it up even kind of going into it. I found that to be what I was keying in on about how he kept – his means low, humble, because I think a lot of people do that. You know, they get their monthly uh, necessary to be just so astronomical that they can't do the things that they're really passionate about because they have to make, you know, a certain level of income because now they have two car payments and a house payment and everything else. And they, they just wipe out because they've gone too far down the road in another way. And they can't they long for the days that they can live out their calling as a filmmaker, but this guy actually put it in, put the time in and sacrificed there. You know, he talked about uh which I firmly believe a calling that he feels like he has. It's not just a vocation. It's not just a, hey, I'm kind of interested in filmmaking. I think being a film trooper, one of the qualifiers, at least in my mind, is that we all kind of understand when you say, Man, I kind of have this calling, this this feeling that I why it was put put here you know this thing i'm supposed to be doing and i felt like paul really resonated with that and got me started to get me fired up again about that um and he talked about having a job to support the filmmaking you know that walt disney quote comes to mind that mm-hmm. you know um uh, i'm gonna botch it well if we I try it so, we don't make we don't make movies to make money we make yeah, money to make movies to make movies yeah that's it you know it it Walt Disney had it right, and this is Walt Disney, one of the one of the greats. And and uh, I've heard you say this several times that it we it seems like we as film troopers are wanting to do hit knock one film out of the park, and then that film's going to set us up for the next film, and the next film, and the next film. I just watched the documentary on Spielberg. On oh yeah, game, and you know he's hust- he's still hustling. <laughs> this is one of the best uh, directors of our time and they still are hustling kind of for their, their next project. They're still having to talk about it and um, try to make things happen uh, for themselves. Paul also talked about many sources of income. And again, that really resonated with me. I've got a couple projects that I have out there, uh, and then I have my services for my indie film coach, and certainly I'm trying to get those several income revenue streams to come in, and I know you've talked about that as well. So that was another thing that, again, was encouraging, but I'm also making sure that my sales funnel, my pathways for my product lines are out there, and I'm fully, because I generally focus on fantasy and sci-fi, that I'm fully exposing the IP for all that it's worth. So I have a comic book, not that I'm doing, but a fan approached me, and so I'm taking a little piece of that, and I'm kind of extending the IP out there, trying to get it out there, Uh, And other means. So I felt like Paul was was reminding me of that to ensure that I'm having a lot of trickles coming in to create that river at the end of the at the end of it all.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's interesting to see the two perspectives like, you know, uh, two different levels. But hopefully those who listened um, are finding some connection with the different stories or the different, you know, um, different pathways and actually we would love to hear from any of you guys if you just, you know, just respond back to us we can find out, you know, how you're handling, you know, running, you know, working a full-time gig but also pursuing your uh, your dreams to to make these films and things like that. Cool. So hey, we can wrap this up. This was, you know, a little bit on the long side, but I hope these episodes are super valuable to a lot of people, especially the topic so it's really specific like, oh yeah, you know, I want to listen to that. Um, how
0: are things going uh, with the, was it the Rangers, right? Or was it? Yeah, yeah. So the Rangers is one that I've, uh, an episodic 60-minute project that I put together. But last time we were on, I was doing this reality show. I was gearing it for. It's why my voice is still a little off, called Weekend Warrior. We had 225 people come out where basically it was like, Medieval times meets a murder mystery, and we did it for three days. I have a hundred hours of footage, Scott, over three days. I had eight different camera teams out there. The footage I've seen, though, just looks amazing. So, I've actually, even before we cut together just a quick little teaser, and I've already started to approach some of my contacts, some network contacts to see if they might be interested. Because, you know, that's it, right? You start at the high tier, shoot for the moon, and then I'll kind of trickle down. So I'm trying to figure out how to cut this thing up. I don't know if I should cut it in 90 minutes and make it a sellable feature, Mm. if I should do a 60-minute pitch, if I should do several 30-minute episodes. So I'm, you know... It's funny. I, I hope people know that you and I are in the midst of this. We don't have it all figured out all the time. That We're just a fellow film trooper figuring it out. And hopefully we're a little further down the road maybe. And if we can throw the rope back and pull somebody else up, that's that's kind of the goal. So as I learn about this, if you're interested in shows and things, as I get information out, I'm, I'm going to be interviewing some people strategically to kind of help us all create a win there. So I'll keep yeah. you all posted on that.
1: Yeah, I think people will love to hear how that develops. That sounds insane. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Wow. You did it though. Like you yeah. know what? You're not sitting around. You you keep making stuff, which is I think the lesson that I've learned from all these amazing guests over the over the years is simply just keep making stuff. Just keep making yeah. stuff. Awesome. Yep. All right. Well, hey, Don't. everybody can find Ron Newcomb over at uh, IndieFilmCoach.com. And, uh, you know, and you can follow us. In fact, um, you know, there's a bunch of free stuff. If you just go to FilmTrooper.com and um, by all means go there, you can get a free video series or sign up for the free members portal, which is an insane, you know, uh, members access to all this collection of valuable, valuable resources for wherever you are in the filmmaking process. Uh, So without that, without that said, we can wrap up this episode and then be on the lookout for a bunch of new episodes, just Ron, Ron interviewing people. I, I might do a quick little intro myself, um, but uh, Ron has have a handful of episodes that we need to pump out real soon because the uh, American film market is coming around the corner. So cool.
0: Any last words, Ron? Yeah. No, I'm, I'm super excited about these other interviews. You know, I'm just getting started in this too. So I'm learning a lot as well from an interviewer perspective. But yeah, super excited to get these going. And again, I feel like all of us together, this togetherness is really uh, just a a good and positive thing. So if we can help out somebody, do reach out. Let's uh, stick together in this thing. Awesome. All right, everybody. Enjoy. We'll see you next time. Film Trooper, empowering filmmaking entrepreneurs.